0: There's no way for me to know how many in the Corey Truax Show fandom or listenership has attention deficit disorder, but if you do, this episode is for you. We will span a ton of things, starting with an autonomous zone in Minneapolis on the Corey Truax Show. This is the best. I do my best to make the show feel live and never go back and record parts that I was unhappy with. You probably noticed that in the past with noises of my dogs in the background, or as many of you commented last week, you could hear the birds in the background. Yeah, I recorded the show with my windows open. It was nice outside. I recorded my house, and yeah, you heard the sounds of spring. It made the show a lot more fun. At least that's what I think, and I can't tell you, how much I wanted to re-record that intro! I put my face in my hands because I just said the words "Corey Truax fandom." The the fan club for Corey Truax includes my mother, and that is the end of the list. I know that's not what you guys are. You're my listeners and some personal friends and all that as well. So thank you for listening to the show. I promise to never call you a fandom ever again. My name is Corey Truax. Thank you. For, thank you for listening to the Corey Truax show on WHRT eighty nine point seven and ninety one point nine in the Upstate of South Carolina. And wherever you find podcasts, I also get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets on Sunday mornings at 1030. You're invited. We just restarted the Gospel of Mark series together, and that's me. It was a good time together on Sunday morning. We'll be doing that for the next three Sundays, and we'd love to see you out there. I do mean it. This this week's show, a ton of stuff. It's not like last week's where we really, really drilled down on a couple items We're going to do a lot together today, and including responding to a thoughtful email from a new listener as well. But I want to begin here. The the hobby horse of the day for me, intellectually, is exploring, understanding, and then teaching a response to wokeism. Wokeism is, is a movement only in the last couple years, and so it's a new social movement. It's not conservatism. It's not liberalism. It's not socialism. It's its own thing. And it feels, again, quite occultic and religious, as I've explained. And so admittedly, my news consumption, when I think about stuff to do on the show, when I sit down in front of a Word document to plan a show, a lot of my thinking goes towards what the woke is doing. And there's always the ridiculous stuff. We talked about some last week. And even some of the new things, like uh, dove soap taking off the, the word normal because... Saying someone has normal skin could be offensive to people who have dry skin or something. Like, There's always the stupid little things. But this is a cultural movement that holds sway right now. And so I I just continually think about its effect and the consequences. And so I want to play for you now uh, a story. This is from, uh, I think it's from a local news station somewhere in the Midwest. here is what it's covering. Up in Minneapolis, there is the trial about to happen for Derek Chauvin Chauvin, however you say it. He is the cop in some way responsible for George Floyd's death. Some of you might say his murder. Some of you might say his negligence caused death. However you want to say it, I'll let you do that. But the the cop who was leaning down on George Floyd at the time that he died. That trial's coming up. And as the... The media regather in that part of Minneapolis, something they're finding is that there is an autonomous zone. You might have heard about one of those back in the summer out in Portland. For whatever reason the idiotic lo- lo- local governments and state governments out there decided just to let some people take over a part of their city. Unlawfully start their own uh, their own place. Remember it was called Chaz or Chop or something like that? The It was called the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. So yeah, Chaz, that's what it was called because there was a Capitol Hill in that part of Portland too. Anyway, one of these has happened in Minneapolis as well. It includes the intersection there where George Floyd died. It's several blocks and uh, they've just been not letting cops in. Like it's, quote, an autonomous zone. And so I want to play for you a story in the story. You know what, I'll stop it when we get there and explain it. Let me start this about uh, about a one minute in. It's a little bit long here, so we're going to shorten it up. So here is from News Nation, a story about the autonomous zone around where George Floyd died in Minneapolis. And over that square declaring it an autonomous zone. It's also been a hotbed for violent crime in recent months, certainly in recent days. And activists are not letting police inside. Earlier this week, our First, really quickly, activists aren't letting police inside. That is an insane sentence that should not be happening in the United States of America. The police are the government. This is something I've I've been asking people on the right to understand for a long time, all the the back-the-blue people. You're just backing the government, to be really clear. Police are an instrument of the government. They deserve all the same skepticism that you give government. Uh, But they are, at the same time, Christian worldview, biblical worldview. God does institute governments. We are not anarchists, and so... The laws that are made, you have to have law enforcement, and that is the men and women on the ground, vast majority of them, and in, in police forces, decent people just trying to do a good job. And then there are certainly some bad apples along the way. We have all kinds of policing problems we get it, we could get into. But the idea that there is just a spot in a city, and we just let some people take it, like we're, we're just grabbing this now. It's, it belongs to us. We're not letting the police in. I know if I'm mayor or governor, I on purpose... Belittlingly laugh at them. I get on TV and go, <laughs> "No, honey, I'm sorry, pumpkin. No, no, no. That that belongs to everybody. You, you didn't. You didn't build it. You you don't own it. That area didn't belong to you, you silly goose." And then I'm sending in the police because you don't get to have an autonomous zone. That's not how life works in a place with any kind of semblance of order. So that's one. It's a idiotic uh, idea that such a thing should be able to exist. It should have been cleared out a long time ago. Here's the rest of the story. News Nation reporter Brian Enton went to the outskirts of that George Floyd square where he was confronted and then threatened by two people inside the zone. It's a video that has since gone viral. Take a look. This area behind- now, as this gentleman is doing the story, he's downtown, this, well, this area of Minneapolis, He's right at this barricade where it's clear that the autonomous zone has taken place. And in the background, you see two people, they probably start 50 yards away from him. The whole time he's talking now, these two people dressed in all black, including black balaclavas, I think that's what that's called. Those face masks that cover your entire face. They're walking towards him. Just just two people in the background walking towards him as he talks. Behind me uh, is the George Floyd Memorial. This is where George Floyd was killed back in May. Take a look. Um, these barricades have been set up by uh, by protesters and supporters of the movement. Uh, they don't allow anyone in, not even the police, it's called. So again, don't, don't let anyone in, the police. Now these two people, these balaclava people, have gotten close. It's a little hard to hear, but you can hear the exchange. An autonomous zone. Uh, yeah, I just, and you're going to be yeah, in a bad, bad situation asked, here in a second. Oh, I thought if we were on this side of the barricade. Go. You're, you're going to be in a bad situation call. in a second. What do you mean, guys? Because you've been called out for what you are and you need to get out of here. Please go. You know, you no, wait, you know what you are. You need to get in your bar and go. Just, I don't give a, a who you to are. You've been called out for who you are. You need to get in your bar and go. All right, so very, very uh, nice people out there on the welcoming committee for the autonomous zone there in Minneapolis, right? It's a it's a woman who says you need to get in your car and go, and then a guy who says you're about to be in a bad situation if you don't go. Now I know me, now th- this guy, by the way, uh, what the reporter's name? I think his name was Brian Enton. He does just leave, but the the guy in his the the guy from the autonomous zone, not exactly an intimidating figure. He talks a big game, but. I know I'm not leaving. I'm walking right in there. He's by himself. It's just you and this lady. I'll do exactly what I want. I'm in the United States of America. You, you, you little childish plebes with your little autonomous zone. I think you're adorable. You're sweet as can be in there with your little autonomous zone. I would ha- because this sometimes, listen, sarcasm, belittling, sometimes that's an important tool. They're being childish wokeists this is part of the woke religion the idea that they can just set up shop and everyone is supposed to respect the make believe i have established we said it we declared it and so now everyone needs to give us what we want not how life works pumpkin and i would have handled it a little differently so that's one example of this wokeism. That's kind of going it's going insane they're doing this autonomous zone in minneapolis i want to give you another example of this i'm building to something i promise There is Here in South Carolina, Senator Tim Scott, huge fan of Tim Scott, like the guy a lot. He said something that only he could get away with because he is one of the only black senators of the 100. He said said these words, uh, woke supremacy is just as bad as white supremacy. If anyone else says that, they probably get a lot of trouble. Tim Scott has still gotten into some trouble, but he has some insulation because of, of demographics. That's not how things should be, but that's how things are. The, the world as it should be is where we evaluate every statement for true and false. We don't evaluate statements by who said them. The, uh, an, an absolute horrific person can get some things right, and a really good person can get some things wrong. So every statement, every sentence, sentimentality, idea, those should be the things that we evaluate. We don't evaluate by demographic, but the, cult, the culture we're in does evaluate by demographic. Because that's in part what wokeism calls you to do. I could give you some examples of this, but i got to keep moving if we're going to have our ADD show today. So let me play for you this. This is Don Lemon from CNN calling out Tim Scott for saying that. Woke woke supremacists storming the the blanking Capitol. Where are the woke supremacists attacking police? Where the woke supremacists hunting police officers in the halls of the Capitol and beating them with Blue Lives Matter signs with white supremacist insignia on their shirts and carrying white supremacist paraphernalia. Guess- so he thinks he has a good argument here because again, I have found, man, folks on the left, they think that their January 6th thing is some kind of card they can just play for the rest of their lives. So what where we sit out, outside of woke supremacy and certainly outside of white supremacy, what, what needs to be able to happen is you condemn both. What, what white supremacy is is sinful. It fits into the category of, uh, what is that in James? The, the concept is partiality. Partiality is the concept that you don't, you don't treat people differently by whatever group they're in. So racism is a sin. White supremacy is a sin. But to, to make clear here the the concept and the principle. If you look at a definition of white supremacy, there is definitely a woke supremacy. White supremacy would say that white people constitute something superior, that just by their nature, they have uh, they, they should be included in some things and we can exclude others who don't fit into this category. That is absolutely the case with wokeism. It is an ideology of supremacy to the point that if you are not woke, if you don't speak its language and say it's shibboleths, it will kick you out. It will try to destroy you. Now, I make that case again this week with just a couple examples to get to here. I have some more wokest thoughts, but I got a good email that asks, okay, well then what do we do? you've, You've established the problem. We believe you. What do you actually do with the world in which we live, where wokeism holds sway. I have some thoughts on that that won't surprise you. Maybe nothing new, but some things to retread, and that's important. We'll start on that when you come back for the rest of The Corey Truax Show and WHRT, his radio talk, and wherever you find podcasts. <music> Tension, deficit, disorder edition of the Corey Truax Show. The pace is about to pick up regarding changing topics fairly quickly because a lot is on my mind. Thank you for being with us on WHRT, his radio talk, 89.7 and 91.9 and wherever you find podcasts. You can find me, your humble host. We both. Yeah, we all know I'm not humble. You, your wannabe humble host, Corey Truax. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my very unique name. You will find me there, and I hope you will. You can follow along. I just established for you some more woke insanity. Autonomous zones in Minneapolis. Uh, Tim Scott saying there is a, a, woke, uh, a woke supremacy compared to white supremacy. And continuing to establish this is a, a problem, a growing ideology in the country that's not conservatism. It's not liberalism. It's a whole thing unto itself. It's a problem. Now, I did that last week as well. I got an email from a wise friend and only recently started listening to the show. With, with let me, I'll sum it up this way. Well, then what do we do? In a culture, in a pagan culture that we're in, we're in a pagan culture, how does the Christian live? I know I've done this on the show before. It doesn't hurt to repeat. This is, I had another discussion with someone here recently where I, I had to say, yeah, well, the thing you wish I would have said, I just said on another show. Like there's a lot of shows. I don't know how many episodes there've been, but it's a lot. And you, you can't say everything on every show, but it's, it is worth bringing back themes around. And so uh, the thing I don't want to do is have you overwhelmed in a way where you go, all right, well, all is lost. The wokest have taken over. We're, there's no hope. Oh, there's plenty of hope. Here's how I, I want to walk you through it. We'll do it fast. So the question being, how does the Christian live in a pagan culture? Living in exile, major theme of the Bible. We live in exile. We live in cultures where we don't belong. You, the American Christian, you believe, believe, sorry, you live in a culture where you don't belong. So does the Australian Christian, the Ugandan Christian, the Ukrainian Christian. We all live in cultures where we don't belong. So, what do we do? Here's the outline. I'm going fast because we've done it before. In Jeremiah 29, that's the question Jeremiah is answering as well. God's people, at the time, the Jews, are living in Babylon in a pagan culture. What do we do? What's, what's our instructions? As they live in a pagan culture, we live in a pagan culture. What do we do? Here's the answer. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have sent you into exile to Babylon. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives. Have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you you find your welfare. That's our outline. You know what that doesn't sound like? Anything revolutionary. The thing we aren't in our pagan cultures is revolutionary. The call, as is always the case with the Christian life, is faithfulness. Just live your lives. As you build houses, build them distinctly and differently than other people. So that means as you work, what do you have to do to build a house? You have to work. So at work, be honest. Don't backbite. Don't gossip. Don't talk about people in the office. Treat your customers fairly. Do your, do your business with honor. Build houses. And then live in them. Be a good neighbor. Be different and distinct from your other neighbors. I, the house next to mine here and easily just sold... So someone I'm sure will buy it, someone will move in soon, and I'll have new neighbors. It is my full intention to, I'm not baking anything because I can't bake, but I'm going to go get some kind of gift something and take it over there. Welcome to the neighborhood. Probably going to put in some kind of Christian literature into this thing. Be a good neighbor. That's what we do. He, he said there, take wives or husbands. Get married. Have families. Have families. The way you talk about your spouse, let it be different than how other people talk about their spouses out in the pagan world. As you prioritize your your kids' calendar, prioritize the things of God in church. Don't prioritize their sports teams or their artistic endeavors. When it comes to your living in your house and planting your gardens and eating their produce, that's not just specifically like telling you to plant a garden, but when you plant, you're investing for the future, you're looking to what's going to come in another season. So you don't look out at the world and and see how they think about the future, how they plan for the future financially and how they steward what they have. You do it biblically. But you're not doing anything revolutionary. You're just living your normal life and living it differently than the world does. Living it by different values. And those values come from Scripture. So it was a good question. I got through email. And that's the answer. What do we do as we live in a growing a culture that's growing as it, in a wokest way, in this pagan culture, what do we do? Just go live. Live your life. Definitely work for the welfare of the city. Pray for it. Do all that. But live your life in a way faithful to the Lord and biblical principles. That is the answer. Now, I have a couple more words on wokeism, very short, but then I want to move on to this terrible bill in Kentucky regard, regarding criticizing cops. I have some thoughts on the COVID bill as well. There's lots of stuff to do but a couple more random thoughts I've had this week. As wokeism grows, and it and it has more markings of religion, I was struck this week as I was interacting on Twitter that wokeism as a religion, because it's new, it hasn't yet done its own apologetics. So if you're in the Christian faith, you might be familiar with guys like Norman Geisler or... Uh, I was about to say Rabbi Zacharias, but that did not end well. But the idea of defending the faith. We have all kinds of books and resources to talk about the, uh, the this perspicuity and the sufficiency of Scripture. That Scripture is clear and that we have everything we need in it uh, for all of life and godliness. And we can trust the transmission and translation of the Bible that we have a faithful copy. We have all kinds of resources we give out on... Uh, roles of men and women, or what the Bible has to say about origins—the origin of man, meaning of life—we uh, we have arguments. We've the, the things that the world would say of Christianity. I don't. The thing you're saying, I don't believe. I don't believe the authority of the Bible. And then we've we've had some apologetics done to make our arguments back, just being reasonable. Um, actually, one of the books, the main books for uh, modern American apologetics, is called "A Reasonable Faith." I think it's actually quite a strong book. Wokeism hasn't done it yet. They don't have their apologetics down. Just as the example, I I was reading something on Twitter. Cannot remember now the specifics. But all of the buzzwords got used, like uh, xenophobia, toxic masculinity, systemic racism. And the way the woke operate is they just declare those things. They just declare xenophobia, toxic masculinity, systemic racism. They're just part of the milieu of the culture. And I challenge and encourage you, challenge the premise. What's toxic, what's toxic masculinity? You only made that up like 10 years ago. And when you made it up as a concept, you talked about it first on New York subways as man spreading, men sitting with their legs too far apart. Yeah, you're going to have to prove that to me. And th- they say it with such such clarity that it's just they're just morally true. And you know what they sound like? They sound like Puritans. They, they sound like... Heck, they sound like the, the Catholics of the Spanish Inquisition. They just declare it. We made it up. Talks about masculinity. It's real. Even, even with things I, I, would, I have more, I have a natural inclination to, to see, like a, the idea of a systemic racism. I have found myself in conversations where I go, oh, we're not talking about the same thing. Because we only made up this term in the last decade, and everyone has a different definition— And so if you challenge those definitions, wokeism has not done a good job yet of their own apologetics. And my encouragement to you on any of those conversations is to gently, be gentle, but push on all those. The same way that we would say we believe in penal substitutionary atonement. That's what we believe about Christ on the cross. That he was paying the penalty for sin as a substitute for us that then covers the sins of the redeemed. And someone says, well, I don't believe in penal substitutionary atonement. I don't even know what those words mean. All right, well, let me tell you about it. I have an apologetic for that. When we would might say something like, we believe in, when it comes to gender roles, the idea of complementarianism. The outside world doesn't know what that means. And so we would need to explain it to them. And so that's how it's important, I think, for us to treat the their terms. They've come up with doctrines. Toxic masculinity is a doctrine. Systemic racism is a doctrine. And we challenge the doctrine gently. They're practicing their religion, and we just push on it a little, ask them questions about their religion like we would ask about our religion. Or excuse me, as they would ask about ours. Uh, two more random thoughts on wokeism. I started thinking this is going to happen, and I'm not sure I'm not sure if it's good or bad. I lean towards good. Wokeism, I think, is going to lead to the reinstallation of labor unions. I'll explain. One of the things that has kept labor unions from having a resurgence is the Republican Party. I won't even say conservatism, but the Republican Party does the work in the states to weaken the ability of people to form unions through laws, like having right-to-work laws like we have in South Carolina. But these giant corporations, that let's take for example Amazon, there has been... There have been efforts to unionize Amazon and Amazon uses as a shield their connections to Republican lawmakers and sometimes democratic lawmakers as being a big business and having the support of big government on the right and left, but most of the right. They don't have to fear those unionization efforts being successful because of the laws in the States where they operate. As Amazon becomes more woke as wokeism pushes in, not through government, but as, a, as an insurgent religion onto the board of Amazon and into the, into the boardroom and into the, the management of Amazon, the appetite for defending them from unionization is going to diminish quickly. So Amazon goes through and decides, we are not selling the book when Harry became Sally, uh, sorry, <laughs> when Harry became Sally, which is a book, uh, I think the subtitle was uh, Meeting the Transgender Moment, it, it, very, by, by no means a polemic. Like, it, it would not be my style. Like, it was actually quite academic and boring. They're not going to sell it anymore. And then they say they're not going to allow any books being sold on Amazon that deem or put into, into the category uh, L, any LGBTQIA+, any sexual orientation or transgender ideology into the category of mental illness. Although that's still in the DSM. The Diagnostic Statistical Manual, even the most recent one, number five, still has something like gender dysphoria as a possibility. But they're not going to do it. Those books cannot be sold here. And as wokeism takes over those places, the appetite for people like me to defend them from unionization, we just go yeah you're on your own, man. I what whatever happens to you happens to you and I've talked about unions on the show previously that they had a very important role in the teens, twenties, and thirties. Unions went dark because they started existing only for themselves. they stopped existing for the union members. The union as the institution became the point, and so they just became an economic encumbrance, and I think we're at, we're at a historic low for union membership it's, its its something like seven or eight percent in the country. It's a tiny little group, but I could see it be uh, getting reinstalled, and with no defense from people like me, because we the, those corporations as they woken become awakened, woken. I don't know as they adopt this religion, we're not—we don't have any interest in defending them. Final thing. I, I'm going to expand this word wokeism now into leftism. Leftism and liberalism, again, are different. There's at least three things here. Wokeism, leftism, liberalism. I, I see, especially out on, on Twitter, where I go take a look at what's going on in the political world, there is two things that... I'll just give you my... As a synapses fire. There seems to be a recognition that we're in some kind of cultural degradation. The United States is degrading. Things aren't getting better. And one way I disagree with that, right? Because scientifically and uh, technologically, I mean, we're better than we've ever been. And this is, what an incredible place. But we feel like the culture is disintegrating. We are not integrated. We are coming apart. And then there's a big group of people who seem to think that leftism is the cure for that to bring us together. And what occurs to me is leftism is both the cause and destination of our degradation. Now, leftism is just a a symptom of a, a human nature problem. Human nature is an issue, and leftism is born of a broken human nature. But the leftist's ideas is are what have caused us to degrade. So for just example, uh, the nuclear family used to be the building block of healthy societies. Leftist cultures are the ones that said nuclear families are not important. We can do away with it. We can do away with dads and moms. Kids don't need them. It's leftist ideologies that do away with the idea of a hard, a hard day's work. is how you earn. It's how you build your own life. The idea of individualism, being responsible for yourself, but and instead leaving your responsibility to other people to take care of you. These are leftist ideas, and they degrade hum, the human image. They, they, they degrade humanity. And so the ideas that degrade us as a culture cannot save us, but we can end up in their destination. And unless the Lord wants to do something revival-related, unless the the American church... Has some kind of revitalization in this culture. We do know where we're headed. Left, leftism seems to seems to be our trajectory, and it's funny that folks on the left they seem to know that. Like they seem to know if things continue this direction, we're going to get our way on a lot of stuff. It may take a few decades, but we're going to get our way on a lot of things. At the same time, they seem to recognize the culture is degrading and coming apart as you as you're winning. Like n- name a place, name any place that traditional conservative ideas are winning. N- name one part of the culture where that's the case. They're not. It's not there. All of the cultural institutions, leftism reigns supreme, and nevertheless, they look at they look at a, a culture that they're they're in charge of and is falling apart, and they can't see a problem there that they're in charge of a culture that's falling apart. Okay, I have been beating up on wokeism for a while here. I want to uh, switch for this reason. When folks associated with, quote, my side do the wrong thing, I I always want to call it out. I think it's important for, I guess, one, my credibility. But second, if you don't have your own house in order, how how can you have a, a larger house in order? And so if you haven't heard, let me tell you about a bill going through the legislature in Kentucky. There's a bill to pass the Kentucky Senate that would make it a crime to insult or provoke a police officer in a way that caused the police officer to do violence. So you, in a protest setting, say something that really hurts a cop's feelings and he responds with violence. This law would say, that's your fault. You did it. Let me be really clear several things here. One, the bill's not ever going to become law. It'll get vetoed. I, I don't think there's enough votes to overturn a veto. Let's say that happens. This is, n- number two, clearly unconstitutional. The Constitution of the United States protects free speech. Congress shall not abridge free speech. You are, you are free. To say almost anything, it's actually one of our great, the great parts of America. This uh, story with the two royal kids, um, ah, I forgot their names, Harry and Meghan, Meghan and Harry, yeah, that, that's it. Uh, they, they exposed for me how much, it's a little different over in the in, the, in Britain, like free speech is not as, it, it's, it's kind of sacrosanct here, it's almost sacred, the idea of freedom of speech, at least it is for now. It's, in the case, it's not the case over there, I found, as I was watching those stories. But anyway, bringing it back to this. It is sacrosanct here. It is sacred. And if you respond to someone's freedom of speech with violence, you are responsible for your actions. This is a conservative point. And Republicans in Kentucky are passing a bill that has nothing to do with conservative ideology. We actually mock and make fun of folks on the left for talking about the words being violence a bunch of woke college students showed up at a Ben Shapiro speech at UCLA chanting, speech is violence, speech is violence. And I remember laughing at that because, of course, that's not true. Violence is violence because words have definitions. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is one of the more immature and dumb things because words are actually often way more damaging than sticks and stones. But it is the case that you are responsible for how peop- how you respond to what people say. So the idea that cops should be exempt from that blows my mind. It made me want to go back and just teach the Magna Carta. Like the Magna Carta says kings and queens have to follow the same laws as their subjects. And then remind Republicans in Kentucky, cops aren't kings and queens. Uh, if I... Uh, <laughs> If I hit a random person, if I punch a random person because something they said upset me, I'm responsible. And if you say something a cop doesn't like and he responds with violence, the cop is responsible, full stop. This isn't even hard. But again, it won't become law. If it happens to become law, it will be declared unconstitutional by the courts because it is clearly unconstitutional. And when my side does these types of things or people associated with me generally, I always want to call it out. When we come back, I want to get into this COVID relief bill, if that is what we can call it, uh, and a bunch of other stuff, including some th- realization I had about our, our national debt and why I had some things confused there. We'll do all that when you come back for the rest of The Cory Truax Show on His Radio Talk, WHRT, and wherever you find podcasts. Welcome back to The Cory Act Show. Glad to have you with us. If you would be so kind to share the show, I would be grateful you know charlie he's a contributor to the show financially you can do that too anchor.fm anchor.fm look for the core true show you become you can become a monthly contributor he also often finds like the best quotable thing or maybe the most interesting topic of every show and shares it on social you can do like that maybe you maybe you won't be quite as clever maybe you won't find the same quotable moment but i highly encourage that behavior uh, so I, I need to find some incentive for that behavior I I can't do this right now, but I I got I just gotta. You know what I have I have a place for this. There is right now in the Atlantic. A op-ed, an opinion editorial. This is get this, this is a secularist left winger. This is his headline: America without God. As religious faith has declined, ideological intensity has risen. Will the will the quest for secular redemption through politics doom the American idea? Anybody else been saying that for two years? Anybody else been saying that the fact that we became less religious, it ended up being the case that we replaced our religion with politics, and now the fervor and passion that was once reserved for religion moved into government? Anybody else? That's That's me. I'm talking about me. If you haven't picked it up with my sarcasm yet, I'm saying, welcome to the party, pal. That's from Die Hard. That's a Die Hard reference. Welcome to the party, though. I've been saying that for a long time. I can't get into that right now. But since I am in a I told you so moment, I have another I told you so that I want to tell you about. From, t- t- this is from AP News, so from the Associated Press. Their headline was something like, virus tolls are similar. Here's the headline. Virus tolls are similar despite governors contrasting actions. And Anybody else say that? That when you have a pandemic, you're going to have a pandemic? That you can behave a little differently? You can you can take different precautions, but you're generally going to have the same results because a pandemic is a pandemic? From the AP, not a conservative source, guys. Actually, quite the left-wing source. They, uh, they said, let me find the quote here, found it. Though research has found that mask mandates and limits on group activities, such as indoor dining, can help slow the spread can help slow the spread of the coronavirus, states with greater government-imposed restrictions have not fared better than those without them. Let me explain from the the story. California and Florida both have COVID-19 case rates of around 8,900 per 100,000, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And both rank in the middle for COVID-19 death rates. Florida is 27th and California is 28th. Can we all get our heads around that? That's before you take America and compare it to other countries. I understand the fervor around mask mandates and all the restrictions, but the data, the science, is telling us something different. California has been one of the most restricted places the last year. They wrecked their economy. Florida was opened by Memorial Day. They sent their kids to school in, in September at normal time. And the result that California had and Florida had, by the way, Florida, much older state, that's where the, all the old people congregate. If there was a, if that, if there was a target-rich environment for COVID, it was Florida. And nevertheless, they fared about the same, eighty-nine hundred per one hundred thousand. Got it. About the same on death rate. One of them shut down completely. One of them was basically open within three months. They didn't, they didn't have a mask mandate in most places. They had an encouragement. And again, establishments can do what they want. And a lot of establishments were doing what they want. This, is, has, this has been one of the most frustrating things for me around COVID is looking at places handling it very differently and not getting different results. Because you know who would want different results? Me, I'd love that. I'd love to see one of them get a different result. And then I would say, let's do what they're doing because they're apparently doing something that's working. I want to do what works. I want to do what's going to, protect people until we can get them vaccinated or whatever. And it just worked out the same. Also from this story, Connecticut and South Dakota are another example. Both rank among the 10 worst states for COVID-19 deaths. Yet, Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont imposed numerous statewide restrictions, while South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem issued no mandates. So you have one of the most highly restricted areas, Connecticut, and this is even after Connecticut's upsurge cuz you got to remember y- you have some statistics here that could be faulty so I looked into it. Connecticut got hit early. It, that those first three states, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut got just slaughtered in the beginning. But even after their original uptick, they the the, the way that they've handled COVID between South Dakota and Connecticut very very different and about the same results. And I, I said that. I said that about a year ago because a pandemic is a pandemic and there's only so much control we can have. I know it feels, like emotionally, you want to feel like we can get control over something. But that is not the nature of these types of things. You can't control hurricanes and you can barely control pandemics. When they come, they come. Okay, so I had to do that. I had to do the, uh, hey, I told you so thing after seeing the Atlantic write a story that I could have written two years ago just from a different perspective. All right, we got to get to this COVID bill. I I'm not a fan of how they did it. I I was on board for needing to do something. I think I've been fairly consistent on that throughout the the process of dealing with the economic and financial problems of a pandemic. My my logic tended to be on the the first round, I guess I guess that would have been last March or April probably, about a year ago. It was that the Federal government wrecked the economy through encouraging restrictions and lockdowns. And if the government wrecked your economy, the government owes you money. So I was on board. I I was not on board with giving people like me money because I was not affected. I wish we could find a way to be more targeted. That was back then. And I have the same opinion now. This COVID-19 bill gave a bunch of people money who didn't need it. I mean, I, it hit, I got it. I got, a, I got checked my account on like Saturday afternoon and I was like, oh, I have money I shouldn't have. But I, got, I don't know, I'll call it a refund or something because um, they, they do take plenty from me. But this COVID bill beyond that, besides it not targeting people and then giving a bunch of people money who don't actually need it, I, I wish we could just do a COVID bill, something focused on that. But as a couple examples of how they didn't do that. I get the daily New York Times rundown. I think they call it the rundown. I, I think I'm right. But they just give you the the big stories from the day. And, of course, it's from a New York Times perspective, so it's, it's not my own. But one of the headlines a couple of weeks ago on the rundown was something about ending child poverty or a revolution in child poverty. And I started reading the article, and it was about the COVID-19 bill. And I, I wanted to just yell, um... I don't know if you guys know, but child poverty is different than COVID-19. Do you think they're the same? A new child poverty program is not supposed to be in the COVID-19 bill. Let's do a COVID-19 bill. And then if you want to do something on child poverty, let's do that. And it, but it wasn't just that. that the, this bill includes a brand new government program that's supposed to sunset, but wink, wink, wink. We know that no government program ever gets created and then goes away. Once it's created, it's always around. But they did a bunch of other stupid stuff. There is a, a big chunk of the bill. I think it's like 5 or 6%. Which, I mean, I know that's not super significant, but it's enough, it's enough to mention. Actually, I'm wrong. I just pulled up the story. It's, this is about 10% of the bill. About 10% of the bill is for local governments and specifically governments that are already poorly run. We're basically giving a pension bailout to blue states. The the government unions, so teachers unions, police unions in Chicago, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, that guaranteed way too much for retirement to government employees and now have no ability to pay, now they're getting bailed out by states that didn't do that. South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, we're bailing out states that we shouldn't be bailing out. It's not something the federal government should be doing. To New York, to Illinois, to Connecticut, to New Jersey, if you made those deals, you got to fix your own problem. We don't come together to fix that. But that's that's in this bill. Does that have anything to do with COVID-19? No. We're just bailing out bad pension deals. They made a change in Congress to a part of the bill that has a formula for unemployment. So when it comes to how how much money each state gets, they include it in the formula, well, how unemployed is that state? And when you add in that formula, blue states got a lot more. I'm not surprised by that, but consider the perverse incentive here. The states with higher unemployment rates are states that chose to shut everything down. South Carolina's unemployment rate's not that bad. Florida's is not that bad. The Dakotas are at full employment. Out West, Nebraska, Kansas, unemployment's fine. People are working. And so the states that chose to work and continue to operate in life are bailing out the states that decided to shut everything down. That's not fair. It's not a fair way to run. And then there was also this. It is a lot of debt. We are rolling in it. And re- recently, I got a good comment that I want t- uh, on social media. I want to tell you about before I do that um, about the debt. The Washington Post, the second most liberal newspaper there is, their editorial board recently put out a editorial about this, that's saying we we do have to do something about the debt. Like they, I think the the article opened with two sentences. It said, "There's two things we know about the debt." First, the, the limits on debt and the consequences of it is not at all what we thought, not what economists thought. Number two, it can't be infinite, and there will be consequences. So people like me for years, we said if you continue to run up the debt, you're going to cause inflation. The, uh, the, the dollars won't be worth what they were. We start pumping more money than God ever created into a system, artificial dollars, then prices are going to go up, we're going to have a, a bad inflation problem. The in, in part, that has not happened because what happened to us economically happened to the whole world. So when it comes to economies of scale and dealing with the other places people could invest, the dollar, the American economy, still, we were the, uh, we were the best looking of all the ugly horses to bet on. All the horses were hideous, but we were still the best one. And so investment stayed here during a pandemic. But there is eventually that that spot. I I don't know when we hit it, but we are going to hit a spot here where there's got to be consequences to this. The rules of just logic and economics that have worked for literally thousands of years say there will be consequences and it will be inflation. That's what's going to happen. And then in probably austerity after that, austerity measures. Cody Fields of the Westminster Doxology Podcast, which you should listen to, they recently had a really interesting episode with a guy who wrote a book. I would just say a book on biblical economics. It's really good stuff, good, uh, good conversation with him. He commented to me on Facebook that it's, it's likely here the issue is the scale of the economy. We have had incredible growth rates since the tech boom. Go through the 90s tech boom. We hit the we hit the bad part there, the housing market in 08, 09, 10. But we've been growing. I mean, especially the last five years, the economy was booming. And so the GDP was going up at a pretty high rate to support the, the overspending and support the debt. If you take it into a household, someone can be earning 50 grand a year and be in. $200,000 of total debt and, may, and maybe managing it okay, paying the mortgage, paying off the credit cards, maybe they could manage that much debt. And it doesn't feel like it should be, right? Because it's that's a lot more debt than, than, than that person is making. And they can continue to get another credit card. They can continue to go rack up debt. It does happen eventually, though. If that income doesn't come back up, if, they, if he's not producing enough to service the debt, there will eventually be a consequence. And we're headed that way. Even the Washington Post, on, on again, a liberal newspaper, recently said so. And that's another part of this problem with the COVID bill. We, we did not take into account what we should take into account, uh, that there are consequences to spending this much. And this is before we even move on to other priorities. The Washington Post wrote that story before getting into the, uh, the question of an infrastructure bill and how much might get spent there. So there's, there's probably more spending coming. It's also worth mentioning here because I always try to bring it back around to some scriptural concepts. The Lord did give us some financial wisdom throughout the scriptures, but certainly the book of Proverbs, that apply to individuals but also to governments. I'm trying to do this off the top of my head here, but there is the concept here that uh, in, uh, in in the house of the wise, there's stores of food, but a foolish man devours all he has. The concept here being the wise will come up with a rainy day fund they don't spend everything but it is the fool that will always devour and constantly spend somewhere in proverbs it says it's it's the uh the borrow is servant to the lender i think that's how it goes the borrow is servant to the lender and we got a lot of debt out there there's there are consequences to these things and this covid bill continues to exasperate that problem Thank you for listening to The Cory Truax Show on WHRT 91.9 and 89.7 and wherever you find podcasts. I would remind you over on the podcast feed, my sermons from the Gospel of Mark will be there. You're invited out to Beachwood Church on a Sunday morning to hear one of those. I'd be honored to see you there. And if you have comments from today's show, you can reach me at Show at gmail.com or anywhere on social media, look for me, Cory Truax. I'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.